This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Agency Partner Program at Wix. That's wix.com slash partners. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Ryan Englund. He is the CEO of CoreFit Hiring, a company that helps blue-collar companies fill front lines with quality technicians and craft workers. So, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. So, I think I think one of the mysteries of the pandemic is, for some people, is that a lot of companies have been really caught with this shortage of workers. I know that you're probably responding to what feels like a crisis, but frankly, in the crafts, the skilled work community, technician community, it's kind of been a long time thing, hasn't it? It's been, it's been hard to get folks to fill a lot of positions, gotten harder. You want to give me your take on that? Yeah. The, the labor shortage, the skills gap, the difficulty hiring, it goes back decades. Mm. People have been struggling with this. I found an article written in the 60s that talked about the skilled labor shortage. So this Mm. is nothing new. I think it's just, there is so much more information about it and we consume information at such a greater rate now. It feels like it's bigger because we hear about it more often. I have some clients that are in the construction industry that I've worked with for years and and it seems far more acute right now. Uh, They have and I think it's a combination of they're busier than they've ever been as mm-hmm. well. And because they can't backfill if they lose somebody, it's made it a more acute situation. But is that is it a combination of those things, you think? I think with the trades in particular, yeah. and we work with all sorts of industries in the front line, but in the trades, most of the the people that they've had for a long time are aging out. Like that work is backbreaking work and you can only do it to a certain point. And I think they're predicting somewhere around 40% of that labor market to be gone in the next six to 10 years because they're all retiring. And it's more glamorous to be a YouTube influencer. Is that what you're saying? I didn't say that, but that's what we are. (laughs) Yes. Because the kids aren't coming into it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the parents aren't excited to say, Hey, my son or daughter is going in. And so they're pushing them towards the more, Glamorous jobs. I don't know that YouTube is one of them, but definitely the Google jobs, the Facebook Knowledge jobs, workers, that right, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And is that, I mean, so is that, is that not a problem that's going to take care of itself with better marketing? Is it, or is the industry itself going to have to make some fundamental changes? So there's both of those are correct. Like they are going to have to do some marketing, but they are going to have to make some fundamental changes. I think one of the things I hear a lot is, oh, the, the younger generations, they don't know these opportunities exist. They don't right. know how much money they can make. And right. I think they do. They just don't want it because they've heard the horror stories of the way people have been treated. Mm. One of our, one of the core things that we teach and, and that we coach on is how to stop thinking about people as a cog in a machine and start right. valuing them as a human being. When you hire somebody, it's the whole package. <laughs> you yeah, don't just yeah. get the person that shows up eight to five. They're going to bring their life's problems and their life's goals and all the stuff they're going through in life that comes to work with them. Yeah. And I think that the trades in particular has a bad reputation for dealing with that. That's interesting because you read articles about Silicon Valley and how competitive it's gotten to get people there. And they've really treated it as culture is as big a deal, as big a draw as incentives or pay. And I think that probably the trades industry is really pretty far behind that, that thinking, aren't they? They are. There, there is a culture. Every company has a culture, whether sure. or not it's 
written on a poster in the break room or uh, (laughs) they actually live it and hold accountable. There is a culture there. And I think what the trades have missed in particular is missing the idea of being able to promote and market their culture because there's this fundamental belief that people don't care. Mm -hmm. And there's a statistic out there that came out of a Gallup report that says 86% of millennials will take a pay cut to go work for a company that aligns with their mission and their values. It's really gotten hot in, I don't know if it's HR circles or there's a, there's even titles now like head of people in organizations, but this idea of employee branding, which is a little bit of what you're alluding to is this idea that the, the best salespeople for getting more people in your organization are happy employees that are you know pumped about what they're doing. But how do you bring that into, particularly into a culture where it hasn't existed perhaps? I, I think for a lot of the clients that we work with, they have an amazing story to tell. Yep, They really do have an amazing culture. They've got an amazing story. They've got leaders that care. They just, they're rough and tough. Like they're iron workers or construction yeah. workers or craft workers. They don't think about marketing. They yeah. go to work in blue jeans every day and hopefully they're clean, right? Like it's that kind of mentality. Yeah. It's rough and gruff and if you just put a little bit of that marketing to it and say, let's tell your story, which is one of the core pieces that we teach is how do you tell what we call the core story? That's what really draws people to your organization. Like you talk about the no like and trust. Employees need that too. Yeah, That's just central fundamental marketing is that people connect with a story far better than they connect with. Here's what, here's the features of what we do here. And I, and I think you're right. I know in my work that industries like that, you know, and, and even just more buttoned up industries, say accounting and whatnot, they just have a trouble believing that anybody wants to hear their story. They want to hear what they're going to get. <laughs> and I think that that's part of the challenge is that people, even as much as people like you and I talk about it, still have, have trouble in some industries feeling like that's an important part. So how do you get people past that, especially I can imagine the the remodeling contractor says, I don't have a story. You know, I just show up. I I do what I tell people I'm going to do and they seem to like it. What's that? How do you extract that story? It it all starts with their why. I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. Start with why. They all have a reason. They all have a purpose that they started this business. They took it over. There's a joke in the trades. The only, the two ways people get into the trades is they either didn't want to go to college or mom and dad told them to do it. That's how you get into the trades. But I think a lot of them, they wanted more. And so they left being a craft worker and they went and started a business. And it's, let's get back to why you do what you do. Why do you get out of every day? Why do you slodge through all these fires? Deal with a team of 40, 60, 200. Like, why do you take on all of this risk and do it day in and day out? Like your reason for doing that is so critical to being able to market and promote your story. So we've been talking a little bit about the groundwork, you know, that has to be done if you're going to effectively draw employees, but because that's obviously that's the long-term part. Uh, but in the short term, if people are coming to you now and saying, how do we attract people? How do we retain people? What are some of the advice that you're giving people in this particular um, environment? So I'm going to answer the second question first, the how do you retain people? And yeah. here's what we find is that retention goes up significantly when you start making better hiring decisions. So if right. you're hiring for culture fit, if you're hiring to build a successful team, if you're hiring with teaching people how to better communicate and you're having those conversations up front, you're really getting to know people. Your, your retention problems will really fix themselves. But it's the attracting people. If you want to attract good people, 
you have to become attractive to good people. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. So if you aren't getting good people applying for your company or you're not getting, you're not hiring good employees, I really want you to take a step back and say, Hey, are the good people actually attracted to us? Remember people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. And if there's something about your company, your culture, your team, that's not attractive, you need to take a a real intrinsic look, deep dive and say, let's fix this first. Okay. So I'm sure that everybody listening, that makes complete sense too. But then I guess the follow-up is, well, how do you make yourself more attractive? That's the (laughs) thing that we run into a lot in the trades is remember they're craft workers or like you said, accountants, they're, they're accountants or software engineers, like whatever it is, they're not storytellers. Mm -hmm. So it's really, you got to work with your marketing team. One of the first things we do when we work with a new client is we take recruiting away from HR. Recruiting is not an HR function. Recruiting is a marketing function. You are selling your company. You're selling an opportunity. You've got to get your message out there in front of the right people so that they apply. And then you can sell them in the interview process. And so it's really getting your marketing team involved. Like, how do we make ourselves more attractive to prospective job seekers, not just our customers? Where are they listening? Where are they tuning in? If I'm listening to this show and I'm I'm particularly trying to hire or at least get my name in front of potential candidates for that. Is it the job sites? Is it radio? Is it, what are you finding? Are you finding a channel that, that seems to be most effective for getting at least on people's radars? So when we look at job seekers, they're broken into two categories, the active job seekers and the passive job seekers. Yeah. yeah. And you really and want the passive ones. You, you want the passive ones. And here's the thing about the passive ones. They're 70% of the job market. 70% yeah. <laughs> of the job market wants to switch jobs. They just want to switch under their own terms. They don't want to have to. They don't want to have to go through the process of looking for work. One of the things we teach real early on is that the process of looking for a job is one of life's most stressful events. People Mm -hmm. do not like to switch jobs. So if we can make that process easier for them, if we can make ourselves more attractive, we can put our opportunities in front of those passive job seekers. That's where we're going to find the real good ones. But the active job seekers are on the job boards. So if you have a need today, which most people need to fill something today, you may not have six months to wait for that passive job seeker to take action. So you go to the job boards. How do you stand out? There are brands out there spending millions of dollars a month in advertising. How do you compete with that? And it really is being disruptive in the way that you approach the job boards. The truth is that those job postings are ads. Mm-hmm. And instead of putting the must have reliable transportation, must be able to lift 50 pounds, must be able to use some software that we're going to teach you how to use anyways. <laughs> why don't you put what you're really looking for? How do you define a good person? What yeah. is the type of person you want to join your team? Yeah. And when you get really clear on that, your postings are going to stand out like a sore thumb, right? And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. When your agency partners with Wix, you unlock an entire digital ecosystem for creating, managing, and growing your business online so you can run your agency the way you've always wanted to. Get the full coding and design freedom to create anything your clients need, along with the tools to manage and collaborate with your team seamlessly from anywhere. And when it comes to growing your business, you can get matched with new leads every day and earn revenue share for every website you create. They're all backed with Wix's industry-leading security and site performance. You'll also have dedicated account managers on standby 24-7 so you can reach your goals and start setting new ones. See for yourself. Head on over to Wix.com partners and reimagine what your agency can accomplish. In the skilled labor market, do employers need to start lowering their expectation about skill and experience? 
I think some I mean, of them, they all want that person with 20 years and yeah. they could work their way out of any problem possible, but maybe that's unrealistic. So it, we don't get into this a whole lot, but there is this element that if, if employers don't figure it out real quick, they're going to lose a lot of their tribal knowledge that are 20, 30 years, they can right. solve any problem without help or support. And there really needs to be an emphasis to take that information and get it documented so that you can start training that to new people. The companies that we see the best at growing or, or farming is, is what we call it. When you're yeah. farming for new employees and you're growing them up yourselves are the ones that have really invested in an apprenticeship program and have said, mm -hmm. hey, you know what? We're going to take people that have the behaviors and the traits that we want and we're going to teach them the skills. Would you actually translate that out to a broader market? In other words, having not just the people you have in, internally, I think that is absolutely true, but would you be going to university situations or to vocational schools and trying to get involved at, at that early point? You can. I think the again, it's not that they don't know these jobs exist. It's that they don't yeah. want them. Yeah. So what can you do to get people more excited about these jobs? A lot of the what we hear in the trades, particularly the vocational schools, they're really not doing much of a service. Like they're teaching the book work, but they're not teaching how to troubleshoot. Yeah, they're not teaching yeah. how to solve problems. They're not teaching the stuff that's really important to employers. So there is an opportunity to get involved there, but that's not really where it should be coming from. It goes back to the old days. I remember when I was a kid, I was in T-ball and there was this local business owner that sponsored all the jerseys and we had their company yeah. name on the back. Like they got involved in the community at an early age and they said, hey, this is who we are. And it wasn't because they were hoping to get brand new employees or brand new customers for it. But over time, people would start to notice. Yeah. And that brand would become synonymous with the local community. And yeah. I think we really need to get back to that. I'm seeing you slide into third with consolidated plumbing on your, on your journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So are you seeing, I've, I'm going to back up before I ask that question. And you may not have an opinion on this, and this is certainly not meant to be a political um, comment at all. What role are unions playing in this industry uh, today? Is there a usefulness for, are they part of the problem? Because it, at one point, unions were very instrumental in the teaching and training of trades and skilled workers, not maybe so much for the small business employee, but I, I wonder, do you have an opinion on where that stands today? So I think the reasons that unions were created in the first place, they served a purpose. It was really yeah. to protect the employees and give them a way to, to bargain with the employer collectively. And that there are still some elements of that where it's important. There are some industries that have just not opened itself up to the private sector. But right. I think for the most part, so we don't, we typically stay out of union states. We typically don't work there. And if we do, we work with the smaller employers. I think the one thing that the employer, the unions did really is they put together the apprenticeship programs, the training yeah, programs, right. they taught these guys the skills. Yeah. But I think where we run into problems is that the pay between unions and the private sector, they've just, they've never lined up. Yeah. And so that's been a real challenge. The other thing too, that the unions do differently than what we teach is, like I said before, when you hire somebody, it's a package deal. This isn't come work this job for two months and then go yeah, sit down yeah, at the yeah. union hall and wait for the next job. Yeah, 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 we yeah. don't do that. We work a lot with especially seasonal contractors. A lot of them out here in Arizona, summer is insane for HVAC. Right. And then in the winter, a lot of these companies lay people off. Wait, and Arizona has winter? <laughs> we, we call it winter. We put the jackets <laughs> on when it's under 90. But they'll lay a lot of their guys off. And that's just not yeah. the right mindset for how you hire yeah. and retain people. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly going to attract a certain kind of worker, perhaps. Yeah. So 
supply and demand being what it is, is there pressure on wages right now that is really going to create some some costing problems for contractors? Yeah. We typically just say, let's pay what the market can support. But right now, I don't know that anybody really knows what the market can support. But I do think that there is going to be pressure on pay. Because especially if you're in those entry-level jobs or those unskilled labor jobs, and you are paying 12 to $15 an hour, like Amazon is your biggest competitor right now. Mm-hmm. It's not the contractor down the street. Yeah. It's these really big organizations that are paying $18, $20 an hour. They're making it super easy to take a job there. Now, Amazon's a whole different beast, but yeah. that's your competition yeah. is the Amazons and the Walmarts. And even the companies that do a lot of customer service where you can now work from your home answering calls. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of people got into that work because they wanted to do that work or they were good at doing that work. They'd learned it growing up on the farm or whatever it was. And so they took that work, maybe not considering that that paid less than retail or something like that. But that's really no because you have this whole Amazon is an is example everybody can relate to that's going to hire 100,000 people at Christmas. And so they're going to put so much emphasis into that. All of a sudden, then that becomes maybe a more attractive option. So it really great point. How big a problem is poaching? I know that's a lot of the folks that I talk to, they're like, yeah, let's just go to our competitors and offer them more money, offer the employee more money. I have a sense of what your answer is going to be to this, but it is an issue, isn't it? I actually have a, a story about this. It's really close to home. So right after we came out of the last recession, you know, the 2008 recession, We saw this happen with electrical contractors Mm -hmm. where they would drive up to a job site with their truck and they would say, who's the foreman? And they would say, go grab your crew, show me your pay stub, I'll pay you a dollar more an hour. And so the whole crew (laughs) would jump into the back of the truck, drive to the next job site. Then guess what happened? The guy that just lost his crew would fill up a truck, go down and say, hey, I'll pay you a dollar more an hour. And so now you have all these electrical contractors in an industry that's really designed to support that 24 to $27 an hour, making 35, 36, $37 an hour. People are like, how do I afford these people? And the unfortunate part is as employers, we're responsible for the fact that now these people are being overpaid for what their skill set is. And so now these people are stuck working for an employer that can afford these wages. They don't, they can't leave. So if it becomes toxic, if it starts causing other issues, most people, when they get a raise, they live to their means, they expand yeah. their lifestyle. And so, and really anybody who will leave you for a dollar more an hour will come to you, I should say, for a dollar more an hour, will leave you for a dollar more. An Absolutely. Hour. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't be surprised when they leave for more money. And that's the yeah. other thing, too, is people don't leave for a dollar more an hour. If that foreman and his crew were super happy and they felt well cared for and they felt like the employer actually had their best interests and their personal interest yeah. in mind, they're not going to go through that level of stress. To sort yeah, of, but point. too often, that's what happens is employers treat people like a cog and one cog break. So Ryan, replace you. Over the years, you've built some resources. And obviously, I know you have a coaching program and you do some online webinars and training. So um, maybe share if, if people are interested and they hire skilled workers, they are interested in this topic where they can find out uh, more uh, about some of uh, your work. Yeah, absolutely. So anybody that's hiring people below $30 an hour that is frontline. So they're actually providing your product or service to your customers. Those are the best fit for us. And we've developed a coaching program. We also have a lot of available material on our website. Corefithiring.com is where they can learn more about not only some of the resources available, but also if they want to learn more about our coaching and training program, 
and the coaching and training is for the employer or whoever's doing the hiring of the employee or of the employee, right? It's for the employer. Yes. And so we help them implement our entire system. We call it the core fit hiring system. And we have a whole process that we've developed everything from how do you develop that core, the story, the the vision, how do you find the right people? How do you automate the process? And then ultimately, how do you interview and make sure you're hiring the right people? Awesome. Very timely. Thanks for stopping by the duct tape marketing podcast, Ryan. All right. That wraps up another episode of the duct tape marketing podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, Check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says training for your team.